Well, we're going to move on to chapter 2 today in the book of Philippians. But first, we want to re- uh, visit chapter 1 one more time. But today, we're going to talk about the joy of living in unity. And we're going to chapter 2, but we're not going to leave the, the theme. You know, the Apostle Paul, once he had established a Philippian church, and he was, he was a missionary, and so he established the church, put some leaders over that church, and he kept going. And he established church in other areas. And then eventually he ended up being in prison. So he was writing the church back to encourage them and to commend them and thank them for their offering. But while he was away, he found out that there were some people that had come in, some teachers that had come into the church that uh, were teaching with wrong hearts and with the wrong motives. And Paul was wise enough to know that all it takes is the... uh, the wrong teaching, the wrong spirit to come into a church and bring great division and great divide. And so he writes concerning this in Philippians 1.15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are are true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. So Paul addressed the church, reminding them about these teachers, and he warns them not to allow these teachers to cause division. Because, you know, as you read the New Testament, you see that some say, I'm of Apollo. Some say, uh, you know, there was people that made divisions. Well, I'm following this leader. I'm following that leader. And, and they, there was a problem with there being unity in the body of Christ. And it was a constant battle to try to keep unity. And so Paul understands the negative effect of disunity. And so he teaches them and he addresses this problem. In verse 27, He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. So in other words, Paul, in essence, is saying, stand firm in the spirit and stay in the spirit of unity. Guard against division and fights and quarrels within the body of Christ. Because if you allow that to come in, it's not good. In Philippians 2 and verse 2, Paul says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. So the bottom line is, unity has to be a priority for the church if we're to experience joy. Unity has to be in place for joy to be in your life. Isn't that true? How many of you would agree with that? There is no joy whenever you're living in disunity. Come on, have you been there? How many of you have been married long enough to understand that? Come on, how many of you know there's no joy in a business where there's no unity? There's no joy in a marriage without unity. Isn't that right? I mean, man, that'll make for you a long night when you're not in unity, right? Proverbs 21.9 says it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Don't elbow your wife right now. 
But how many of you know we could put men at that same place as the wife, right? And so listen, there's no joy in the church without unity. Proverbs 17, 1 says, It's better to have nothing but a dry piece of bread to eat in peace than a whole house full of food with everyone arguing. Hey, this one thing I know, there is no joy without unity. Amen. As long as you're living in conflict, joy is not going to be the predominant emotion that you experience in your life. Can I get a better amen? So the Apostle Paul goes to chapter 2 and he addresses this issue in verse 1. If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate, then make me truly happy. By agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) That's good right there, right? So in this passage, Paul is laying down a foundation of truth for the church. There is great blessing for those who stay in the spirit of unity. Unity gives us an unlimited possibilities. Isn't that right? You know, just recently, just a couple of nights ago, uh, the San Antonio Spurs and the Miami Heat played in the NBA Finals. And the Miami Heat cheated. And (laughs) no, just kidding. Just kidding. But uh You know, hey, listen, they couldn't win the championship without teamwork, right? There is there's unlimited possibilities when we work together as a team, when we have unity. And uh, remember the Tower of Babel, whenever the people had one language and they came together. And the Bible says in Genesis one, at one time, all the people spoke the same language, used the same words. And as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, uh, Babylonia and settled there. And they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. And this region, bricks were used uh, instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. And he said, look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. What is the Lord saying? The Lord is saying when people operate in the spirit of unity, nothing is impossible for them. When the church operates in the spirit of unity, nothing is impossible for them. You know, there's thousands and thousands of churches across America, and many of them have 30 or 40. In fact, back over in uh, the Leesville, Maryville, they say it's, uh, it's in the Guinness World Book of Records. There's more churches per capita than anywhere else on the globe. 
You know why there's so many churches? Because somebody gets their feathers ruffled and they decide they need to go down the road and do their own thing. And there another church has started. And so there's a lot of churches that that don't ever get off the ground. Why? Because there's so much eternal disunity. There's so much internal faction. There's so much bickering and biting and fighting on the inside. And thus the church can't move forward. But whenever you come together in unity, when you come together as a husband and wife and you work together towards something, that's when God blesses. That's when that's when you're going to see the favor of God. Amen. Unity gives unlimited possibilities. Unity releases the Lord's blessing and anointing. In Psalm 133, in verse 1, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the cowl of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. Now, I won't go into talking about all what that means, but look at what the rest of the verse says in verse 3. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Where does the Lord bestow his blessing? Where brothers live together in harmony or in unity. In Proverbs, it says that the Lord hates some things. And one of the things the Lord hates is people that sow discord among the brethren, among believers, among the church. Unity releases the blessing of God. And listen, God's blessings will come to your family if you have unity in your family. God's favor and blessing will come to your marriage if you have unity in your marriage. Come on, y'all. Listen, God will bless your business if you got unity in your business. Isn't that right? It's the position that God blesses. It's the position of unity. And listen, joy will come to the church that has unity. Joy will come to the house that has unity. Joy will come to the marriage that has unity. Joy follows unity. Amen. And that's why the Apostle Paul, remember the epistle of joy, and he's dealing with the church, wants them to stay in joy. But he deals with this problem. There's tremendous weakness when we lose our unity. When unity is lost, Jesus emphasized this in Mark 3. Jesus said, verse 24, a kingdom divided against itself will collapse. A home filled with strife and division destroys itself. And if Satan is fighting against himself, how can he accomplish anything he would never survive? So Jesus said, a house, a kingdom, a family, a business divided against itself destroys itself. So listen. All the devil needs to stop us as a church is bring division in our ranks. All he needs to do is to stop you from advancing in your families to bring division. That's all he needs to do. All he needs to do is get us fighting with each other and he's got us defeated. So we should be wise enough to know not to play into his hand. Come on, are y'all with me out there? Amen. So Paul recognized in the church of Philippi would be challenged to keep the spirit of unity. He takes the time to instruct them what causes us to lose this unity and what causes us to maintain unity. So what causes us to lose unity? What causes us to, to lose unity regardless of the setting? Well, in Philippians 2, in verse 3, he gives us a couple of reasons. 
He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. So let's let's talk about three causes of disunity. First, selfish ambition, personal desire and motivation. Philippians 2, 3, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? It's having a personal agenda. It's having a personal desire and motivation to accomplish something for yourself. It's the what's in it for me attitude. And when we have the what's in it for me attitude, when we have selfish ambition, whenever it's all about us, we will cause division wherever we are. There's nothing wrong with having ambition. We should have ambition, shouldn't we? I mean, listen, the church should have ambition to win the laws, reach the community. The family should be ambitious to, uh, you know, to, to have um, to get uh, financially set, to have strong relationships. The the uh, you know, the, the individual should have ambition to want to finish school, to get a good paying job, you know, to make a difference with their life. We should all have ambition. Right. But it's the selfish ambition. That's the problem. Listen, it's when our ambition is so selfishly motivated that it hurts others while attempting to satisfy ourselves. And that's what Paul is dealing with you. How do you know if you have godly ambition or selfish ambition? Well, godly ambition benefits everyone involved. The whole group benefits from our efforts. But whenever it's selfish ambition, it benefits only one person or a small group of people. And that's when you know it's selfish and it's harmful to the rest of the group. You know, the Bible t- teachers in Philippi were teaching only to benefit themselves. The Bible tells us they weren't concerned about how it was going to affect the full picture of the body of Christ. They were totally consumed with their own agenda. The Bible says in verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of, here it is, selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So they preach in the gospel to irritate Paul in prison. They preach in the gospel to, to, to hurt Paul. Paul's busy trying to build the kingdom of God. And these Bible teachers are teaching, trying to get people mad at Paul. That's humanity right there. So listen, even even in ministry, if it's done out of selfish ambition, it hurts more than it helps the body of Christ. It promotes division instead of unity in the body of Christ. You can be doing a good thing with a bad motive and hurt the body of Christ. Come on, are you all with me out there? The second cause of disunity is vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vain conceit is the desire to have personal respect, admiration, or get personal credit for something accomplished. And vain conceit is wanting and seeking to get personal admiration and glory. And it's the uh, who's noticing me attitude. So you can even be in a worship service and be in vain conceit. You could be in church, you can be in the family, you could be in the business. And you're, who's noticing me attitude? I want to make sure somebody knows what I'm doing. 
fact, I'm going to text them and let them know. I'm going to call them, send them an email. We'll go knock on the boss's door and say, guess what I did today for you, boss? It's, is anybody noticing the attitude? When our motive for doing anything is personal credit and admiration, it usually ends up causing disunity. Here's the attitude we should have. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. How many of you believe that's a good motivation right there? See, our goal as Christians is not for personal recognition it's and admiration. It's for God to get recognition and admiration. Is that right, saints? So that's why we need to decrease while he increases. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify yourself. No, and glorify your father who is in heaven. You remember the book of Acts? I thought about this and the book of Acts, Herod suffered greatly because of vain conceit. You remember that guy? Some of you might not be familiar with us. So let me just clue you in. In Acts chapter 12 and 21, on a chosen day, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and he made a speech to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a human. Because Herod did not give the glory to God, an angel of the Lord immediately caused him to become sick. And he was eaten by worms and died. Oh, oh, that'll motivate you right there. Right? We got to be a a mirror, reflect the glory back to God. If they say anything good about us, let's reflect it back to God so we don't get eaten up by worms. Amen. The third cause of disunity is pride. Listen, he says, do nothing out of self-ambition, vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Pride is considering and putting more value in yourself than others. It's thinking more of yourself than others. Humility is considering putting more value on others than yourself, right? And so he says, listen, don't don't be prideful, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Pride will always cause contention and division regardless of where you are. In fact, Proverbs chapter 13, 10 says pride leads to arguments. Listen, the more pride, the more strife. The more pride, the more contention. The prouder I am, the more I have problems with my co-workers, the more I have problems with church people, the more problems I have in my neighborhood. And if I have contention and strife at church, at work, in my neighborhood, in my family, everybody else is not the problem. I'm the problem. Amen. So anytime you have contention and division, if you're in a fight right now, you have much division. Pride is working somewhere in the midst of that. Amen. One amen on that. one. So now let's talk about how to get maintained. Let's go positive here. How many of you ready for the positive? I hope it gets positive. How do you get maintain unity? Well, look at verse one of chapter two. Is there any encouragement for belonging to Christ? Any comfort for his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Four secrets to unity. Number one, the encouragement of belonging to Christ. He says in verse one, if there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, 
any comfort from his love. How many of you know you can't give what you don't have? You can't give what you've never experienced personally. And so he says, listen, if you belong to Christ as a Christian, the love of God should be flowing through our life. And as the love of God flows through our heart, it should help maintain unity. Right? When Jesus is in your life, you should be getting along better with people than before you were a Christian. The love of God. Listen, the love of God, as it flows through our heart, it maintains unity. Why? Because it knows no bitterness. It only looks out for the good of man, the good of others. The love of God is not selfish, self-centered. And so as the love of God flows through our life, it's only natural. Listen, a believer should be getting along better with everybody in the office than anybody. He should be doing better than anybody else. That's not a Christian. Amen. Why? Because he has an advantage. He has an advantage going to work. He has his heart filled with the love of Jesus. Amen. The love of God. Whenever you're a believer, the love of God flows in your life and you are a light. You encourage unity. Amen. Come on. If you agree with that, say amen. The secret to number two to maintaining unity is having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Spirit's job is to bring and keep unity. Isn't that true? It's one of the jobs of the Spirit. Is there any encouragement of belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? And then he says, any fellowship together in the Spirit. And so we need to have fellowship with the Spirit to maintain unity in our marriage. We need to have fellowship with the Spirit to get along in church. Because listen, if you have fellowship with the Spirit, listen what Galatians 5.19 says, the acts of the flesh or the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. And we'll stop there. But there's more. These are the fruit of not living under the influence of the Spirit. The flesh will always cause divisions, factions. That's the function of the flesh. But the function of the Spirit, verse 22 of Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Listen, I do not increase the spiritual flow of the anointing of God in my life if I fight with you. I do not increase the touch of God in my life if I argue with you. You know what I do? I hinder it. See, our flesh promotes discard, hatred, and factions, but the Holy Spirit promotes love, peace, and patience. So the more we're controlled by the flesh, the more fights and arguments we're going to be in. Listen, every time you get in an argument, ask the question, is this the Spirit of God or is this my flesh? Am I operating in the flesh or am I operating in the spirit? I haven't been able to answer that in the affirmative that, yeah, I'm flowing in the spirit while I curse somebody out. Come on, while I have a, a, a moment of rage on the highways and the byways, I'm not flowing in the spirit. 
The more we controlled by the Spirit, the more peace and the more unity we'll experience in our lives. Secret number three to cultivating unity is cultivating tenderness and compassion. The last part of the verse says, is there any encouragement of belonging to Christ, any comfort of His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Tenderness means having a sensitivity to other people's needs. It's having a sensitivity to other people's feelings. How is my behavior affecting other people? And you know, you can get so callous that you just worry about you and you alone. And you don't think about how did that decision affect everybody else around me? How is my behavior promoting a blessing in the organization that I'm in? Tenderness is having sensitivity to how my behavior is affecting other people. And then compassion, it's feeling the pain and the sorrow of other people. It's being able to get in their skin and say, man, this must be hard on them. Tender hearts of compassion help you get along and love and work together with others. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say that's true? And then finally, number four, the secret to maintaining unity is walking in humility. In Philippians 2 and verse 5, Paul said, listen, hey, hey, gang, you got these teachers coming here teaching all this stuff. But listen, verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Okay, you got it? Have the same attitude that Jesus had. And hold up, in case you're wondering what his attitude was, let me help you out. Let me help you out in verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look only for your own interests, but the interests of others. You must have the same attitude as Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So, hey, have the attitude of Jesus. And by the way, this is Jesus right here. Follow his example. And this is what Jesus did to follow the example of Jesus. First, you must be willing to release your rights, though He was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He released his rights. How does a lot of contention happen? As we demand our rights. As we demand our way. Isn't that true? Come on, I know this is not you, but somebody you know, right? Amen. Number two, to maintain a posture of humility, not only must you release your rights. Number two, you must be willing to serve others. And that's what he says in verse 7 but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus emptied himself of his rights. He let go of his rights. He didn't demand that everybody serve him because he was the son of God. I just walked in. Where's my drink? Where's my water? Uh, Wash my feet, please. I I want to eat first while everybody waits. I'm the son of God. I have rights here. No, he didn't demand his way. In fact, he picked up the rag, got the basin, 
put the disciples' dirty feet in the basin, washed them up. And he said, hey, you ought to act like this. Right? He became the servant. He emptied himself, letting go of his rights so that he could serve other people. And then finally, you must be willing to obey God. He humbled himself in obedience to God. Verse 8 says, Jesus was willing to do whatever the Father wanted him to do. It wasn't about his agenda. Humility is willing to serve somebody. Humility is willing to follow somebody. You don't always have to be in charge. You don't always have to be the one calling the shot. But you know what our human nature is? Wanting to be the big dog. Isn't that true? If that's true, say amen. But listen, listen. Here's, here's as it concludes. The reward, the payoff was huge. The Bible says in verse 9, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, he got a position that cannot be trumped. Amen. Jesus got the high place and nobody else is going to get that place. He was exalted, the Bible says. To the place of highest honor. Why? Because he humbled himself. So listen, when we first come into unity with God, and we walk in fellowship with God, don't mean going to church, but when your heart is right with God, and you just submitted your life to him, surrender to him, when you get in unity with God, and then you get in unity with other people, and don't live in strife and contention, what happens then, you're going to have unlimited possibilities in your life. Amen. Amen. Not only that, but you're going to experience the anointing, favor, and blessing of God because there the, the Lord commands His blessing when we live together in unity with other people and we can experience the joy of the Lord. Hey, I've never been happy whenever I've been fighting with Tanya or anybody else for that matter. I'm never joyful when I'm in contention. I experience joy whenever I'm in unity. I experience joy whenever I'm getting along. Come on. And the thing is, is we have the ability to walk in unity if we choose to do so. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. I believe that we can stop some fights right now. Right here in this place, there might be some fights going on around this community that, that you might be a part of and you could stop it right now by just saying, I ain't going there. I ain't going there. I'm, I want to hold on to my joy. Amen. Come on. There's joy in unity, right? Come on. How many of you say that today? I'm, I'm walking in unity, man. I'm not letting contentious factional people get me all twisted up. Some people, they're not happy unless they got a good mushy fight going on. Come on. I, I don't want to be that person. How about you? Come on. Are y'all with me here this morning? Come on. Let's walk in unity. Let's walk in fellowship.
Come on, let's get along. Let's let the love of God flow through us. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the love of God. Hey, the blessing of God will be on us. The favor of God will be on your family, your home, your marriage, your business, your life. Would you bow your head with me? Today, if you say, Todd, I'm not in unity with God, I know it. I'm not where I need to be. My heart is not right. I'm in disunity with God. I'm going the opposite way of the way I know God wants me to go. But today I want to turn around. I want to change my direction. Would you pray for me? I want my heart to be right with God. I want to be in unity with God. If that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Come on. And as you come, just say, I, I want to be right with God. I want to be, I want to be in right fellowship with God. Oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Come on. Peace is coming to your heart. Come on. Joy comes to your heart when you get right in unity with God. Father God, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on. We're all going to pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for washing my sins away. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing my heart. Lord Jesus, I don't want to be in disunity with you. I want to be in unity. I humble myself and I surrender to you. I surrender my heart to you. Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit and help me to live the Christian life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Come on. Heaven just heaven just stopped. And heaven just applauded. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, now listen. Now listen. Come on. We, we're going to go promote unity, right? So let's ask God to give us that grace. I encourage you to bring some notes home. Go look at these notes. And just ask God how you can just apply these things into your into your relationships to help keep peace in the house that you work wherever you go. Father, it's easier said than done. God, we need your grace. We need the power of your spirit. And God, I pray that you would release your power, release your presence, release your anointing right now on every family, every home, and every heart. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.